Welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 94 for Wednesday, October 9th, 2019. I'm your host, Ken Gagne. I'd like to tell you about my friend Jerry. Jerry and I have known each other for about 16 years, in which time we've shot pool, gone bowling, sang karaoke, bunked at a retro computing convention, and were passengers on the Joko Cruise. Jerry has also been a race car driver, roller derby athlete, pinball wizard, hardware hacker, indie film actor, Commodore 64 enthusiast, and entrepreneur. Jerry's most recent accomplishment? Launching a Kickstarter that met its fundraising goal of $450,000 in just 17 hours and is already at more than 200% funded. So we're here today to talk about that project. So allow me to introduce Jerry Ellsworth, CEO of Tilt5. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me. And I want to mention, I hope the video of us doing karaoke doesn't uh, exist out there. For the right price, it won't. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> You sound a little crackly there. That'll clear up around 27 minutes in. So let's just dive right in. Jerry, congratulations on your amazing Kickstarter for Tilt 5, a mixed reality system, which I backed at a small amount. I was happy to be able to help. I wish I could have given more. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what is Tilt 5. Uh, Tilt 5 is a headset that you wear. It's a mixed reality headset. Um, So you slip on these glasses, you flip open a game board, and game characters will just spring from your table. Um, What we're trying to achieve is to take the things that you love about video games and the things you love about traditional board games and blend those together. So, you know, the ability to have fancy graphics and sound and and, uh, rich uh, animations combined with real world cardboard and plastic figures and sitting across the table from your friends and being able to look them in the the eye and, and have a social connection. That's amazing. Now, this is being described as mixed reality. I think a lot of people are familiar with Augmented reality, especially with the advent of Pokemon Go, how would you describe the difference between mixed reality and augmented reality? Well, this space is really um, noisy right now with different lingo. So, I mean, some people have heard of virtual reality that takes you completely out of the world. And then there's augmented reality, which is even murkier, which um, can span from holding your phone up like with Pokemon Go and seeing some video game characters standing in your world to um, headsets that you wear that actually start to blend this graphics um, fairly seamlessly into your world. So what we're trying to achieve with mixed reality, yet another piece of lingo that's um, confusing in the industry, is we want to take physical pieces and blend them with graphics. Um, so you put your toy dragon or your, mi- your, your mini dragon on the table. Um, it could breathe virtual fire towards the villagers. Or if you um, put your hand into the scene, you can actually push game characters around with your hands. So really blending the physical world and the virtual world together. When you talk about pushing stuff around, do I need some sort of a haptic device like gloves to do this? So a couple of different ways you can interact with these virtual characters. The first one, we have a magic wand, which gives you buttons and triggers and things that you're familiar with on a, um, if you're a video game player. Uh, But it also gives you the ability to point um, like a magic wand. You can poke things with the stick. You can pick things up with it by a, jabbing them with the end of the wand and then lifting them in the air. We also have the ability to track hands. So you can reach in with your hands and touch things and uh, push things around, which is pretty magical. Um, And then we also have the ability to track objects. And so objects can be anything from your, your, your mini, um, your little figures that you put out there, your meeples to playing cards, chips and tokens. And so when you place these things out into the, on the game board can trigger events inside your game, like put a, poker chip down and uh, the computer detects that you've placed a bet, for instance. These goggles and the wand work uniquely with the board. It's not something that you can project onto any surface. Yeah, that's a unique characteristic of our system. So there's other AR systems out there um, that let you put graphics anywhere in the world, but they're limited to really small image size and they're extremely expensive. And through a clear optical technique that we use called retro reflection, we can make a headset that's only $299 that can fill your entire table with you know, all of this graphics and, and all this capability, but it is limited to a table-type experience. And that $299, does that include the goggles, the wand, and the board? Yep, the kit, you get everything that you need. So you get the wand, you get the headset, you get the game board, you get some uh, playing cards and little tokens to get you up and going, and a uh, half dozen introductory games. And if you're a developer, it also gives you the SDK to develop for the system as well. Oh, wow. It's that easy to create your own games for. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It's super simple. Um, we support Unity and Unreal, which are the two big game engines for um, making games. And we've made the plugin so easy that um, it's basically drag and drop. So you import our, our SDK into your game project and you just drag it onto the camera that's inside your game. And that's the majority of what you have to do to get your first game up and running. Awesome. I want to talk more about the developers and publishers you have, but first let's go back for a moment about what comes with the kit. If I'm going to play with other people sitting around the same board, they don't need to have their own board as well. How do I get just additional goggles? Um, so we have a group pack in our Kickstarter, so you can buy uh, three headsets at once, and that allows you and multiple of your friends to sit around the table, and you can look into the same virtual space, which opens up a lot of really interesting gameplay uh, mechanics. Like what? Ah, so um, I like to talk about like the um, Dungeons and Dragons example because it's really easy to understand. So you know, you have your game master or your dungeon master. So your dungeon master might um, spend a little bit of time before your game and set up this entire world. You'll have a map and you'll put all the monsters and traps and dungeons in. And when you're playing the game, he gets to see what's coming up next. He gets to see the monsters and the traps and things like that. Your friends sitting around the table don't necessarily get to see it. Um, those monsters until that dramatic moment when um, the dungeon master wants to reveal them. And so it could be something like the dungeon master can wave his hands over the game board and say like an eerie mist settles into the valley. And so it could actually have an eerie mist dropping out of his or her hand into the, the valley. And then it would be revealed to the other players around the table. Then you could say, say something like the villagers told you not to enter the cave and you would, all the players would see the entrance to the cave and then he would trigger the event and then the monster would spring out of the cave. So that's really interesting. There's these fog of war um, gameplay elements that are really unique to our system that you can't get with a uh, 2D screen. Like if you're trying to play Xbox in your living room, because everyone gets to see everything all the time that's on the screen. But with our system, each person gets their own unique view from their own perspective into the, the game board. I'm also really excited about this connecting and linking game boards over long distances. So this virtual space can be shared between homes. So if your friends can't come over to play this game with you, you can link your game boards over the internet and you have a shared space. So that same scenario with the dungeon master, when he waves his hand across the table and the eerie fog settles into the village, you can actually see an, an avatar representation of their hand moving through the scene. The fog would be dropping in, but you would see that from a distance. And our headset has microphone and speaker built in so you can... Um, have full telephony and be communicating with your, your friends over distance. Our, our main objective in that case is to try to make it feel like you're really in the same room uh, playing the game together. So when you actually pick up that Dragon Mini and put it on the table, you would see a holographic representation of that show up remotely. And people could reach in and point and say, hey, let's go over here. And they would see you know, your, your hand and finger would show up and you'd be able to point to actual places on the map. So, so that was all like Dungeons and Dragons example. But we, we span the spectrum anywhere from cardboard and plastic pieces with very little augmentation all the way to pure video games. So we can do um, action games. We can do real-time strategies, which have no physical components at all. But what we actually what you actually get with that is the opportunity to have your friends sit around the table and, and play head-to-head -head and face-to-face, -face, which is super unique. So when you talk about more traditional video games, are you talking about like pinball or Halo or what? We can do a lot of top-down God-type games with our current system. So since it's a game board, you're looking down on it. So a pinball is an obvious one you can do because it's a top-down type game. So you could have a virtual um, pinball experience. Um, it could mimic a, a real pinball machine and not have very much different from a pinball machine, but it also opens up the opportunity to have like effects and let the ball fly off the table and, you know, uh, the game board to reconfigure itself, the pinball game board to re reconfigure itself at any point. Um, like real-time strategies, you can have your top-down uh, 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 war simulations where you're, you know, reaching in with your wand and you're selecting all your units and you're clicking and you're sending them over to, um, to battle um, with these big elaborate maps that are scrolling past um, now, you asked about Halo. Well, Halo is a little bit different. That's a AAA game title, and that's actually not the type of game that we want to um, go after at first. You know, very, uh, a lot of ways it's story-based, very linear. It's a one-time playthrough. We're looking for more of games that you'll come back to time and time again. So the sandbox-style games, like, you know, something that'd be like Minecraft, where you're just constantly building all the time, or party games where, you know, your friends come over and you're you know, doing virtual bowling on your table and you just, you can play it a thousand times and um, there's a little bit less story element to it. 
not that we wouldn't, wouldn't love to have the story games, but we think the biggest value is getting people to pick the headsets up and use them, you know, time and time again. No, that, that sounds like a great fit for the system. And you've worked so many amazing features into it. There is so much opportunity for innovation in this field. As you said, it's still relatively young and murky. Mm -hmm. Or what was your scope when you set out to create this? Like, how did you know these are the features we must have for launch? These are things we can work on later. And this is what we can launch with. So I've worked in the space for quite some time. So I got my start in automated reality at Valve Software. I was hired into Valve Software to put together their R&D team. Um, this was seven or eight years ago. So we put together this dream team just to research how can we make games more fun. And Gabe Newell, the founder of the company, gave me this mission. He said, I want you to come up with gameplay um, scenarios and hardware that bring the whole family together. And the way he put it was like, I want grandma, grandpa, all the way down to the grandkids and everyone in between playing video games in the living room. And so that's what we set out to do. We did a ton of research. That's um, the HTC Vive um, VR headset came from those efforts. There were a bunch of different things, but we did a ton of fundamental research and we actually did a lot of play testing through brute force. We actually like built these AR and VR systems and we brought people in to play and so while I was there, I got hooked on augmented reality because it really does fulfill that, that grand mission of making a system that anyone can just jump into and feel comfortable playing because it's so relatable to the real world. Like I can take my wand, magic wand. Everyone knows how to poke something with a stick. So that's why we chose to use the magic wand um, input. It's like anyone can pick it up. Anyone knows how to like poke at something. And so over the years, for like seven or eight years, I've been thinking about this a lot. And, you know, you asked, like, do you have to put a glove on to do something? We did glove research, you know, to these hand tracking gloves. And we learned pretty early on, like the friction of putting a glove on is a terrible experience. And so we learned that that was not a good way to do it. So then we, we said, okay, we have to figure out a way to track people's hands without putting gloves on. And so for years, we've been working on, you know, making that feature work. Um, Early on, we discovered people really love having things in their hands and placing them into this virtual environment. The, the first time you grab a little plastic figure and put it in and you see it like, you know, spawn to life, like you put that dragon down and a virtual dragon just like jumps out of the side of it and like goes flying across the game board. It's, it's really a magical experience. So taking your physical and then transferring it into the virtual space is truly magic. And so it's... Just to summarize, uh, it's been years of research to condense this down to a set of features that has like the maximum uh, wow factor for the price. Like we could have done a lot of things. We could have done like the um, HoloLens style headset, but they cost $3,500 to put all those features in. So we had to pare it down to things that people could afford. We had to make sure it was something that you could just flip open on your coffee table and go. You didn't have to like do extensive setup to use it. Yeah, that's basically it. Well, you mentioned the Microsoft HoloLens. I didn't realize it was quite that expensive. My goodness. Yeah, I think the HoloLens too is like $3,500 now. It's been going up in price over the years. It should go just the opposite. What, what's happening there? <laughs> well, you know, um, in the early days of AR, um, like HoloLens came out with a video talking about the potential of AR and they were showing like people playing video games in their living room and, you know, walking around the world and, uh, advertisements are popping outside of buildings and a lot of really exciting stuff. I don't know if ads popping out of buildings is exciting, but um, but the, the reality kind of set in, I think, for a lot of these AR companies that it's really, really a difficult problem. So if you want to completely augment your life, it takes a lot of sensors and a lot of compute and a lot of batteries and make the headsets have to be pretty big. And so in recent years, companies like Microsoft have um, changed their focus from trying to do everything for everyone in boiled ocean to settling into their niche. So our niche is like delighting home users on their coffee table with board games and video games. HoloLens has settled on business to business, uh, business type um, and industrial applications. So now they're um, you see a lot of people using HoloLens to go work on a jet or something. You put the HoloLens on and then it shows you how to repair a jet engine, you know, places that can afford $3,500 headsets. And so I think in time, um, there's a lot of physics and computational challenges in front of us, but in time, in the next decade, decade and a half, we're going to start seeing these um, AR everywhere headsets start to get cheaper 
and uh, there'll be more mass adoption for them. And of course, we'll be moving in that direction too. So Microsoft's coming from industrial applications towards the consumer. We're going to go from consumer the opposite direction. So we're going to lift people off the table eventually and let them move around their home and kind of augment a few more things in their home. And then eventually they'll leave their home and they'll be able to augment more of their world. So that would explain why you're focusing at first on entertainment software and games as opposed to more business applications, because those might have higher demands and thus a higher price tag. Exactly. And I think um, if you look historically at emerging technology, there's always been kind of a, a two or three prong adoption kind of uh, strategy out there. So you look at the early days of home computers and um, computing technology, it was like people doing spreadsheets and buying like really expensive uh, personal computers for doing that. And then on the other side, there were really low end like Commodore 64s and Atari's that were really good at doing video games, but not so much on the business side. And you just see that time and time again in emerging tech. And I think AR, AR is really the computer of the future. Um, it's it's hard to say how long it's going to take to get there, but um, it's very wise for us to go after, you know, the kind of uh, video game market at first. And it's very wise for Microsoft to go after the business side. Yeah, there's a lot of things that the two teams are doing differently, the different approaches to AR. And you've done a lot of unique things here. For example, yours projects and reflects light. That does, That means that there isn't any thing being projected directly into the eyes, which Oculus Rift has to deal with, for example. Another thing that you're doing is you're offboarding the processing and the power. So these devices actually require another system. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. So with our system, instead of trying to put the light directly into your eye, which um, presents tons of like human factor problems, like the headsets get really big and heavy, the images are at a fixed focus. So um, you're actually having, in those systems, you have to force your eyes to focus at the wrong distance, which can give people headaches and, and strenuous like viewing experiences. Um, our system, in, in turn, we actually use this special reflective material. So the light comes out of the glasses, goes to the game board, does a 180-degree turn, and bounces back to the user. And the special material allows us to be in focus wherever your head position is, so you don't have those eye strain issues. It also allows us to have this massive field of view that fills up the entire table with this virtual experience. And it allows us to be able to see each other as we sit around the table. And the glasses are featherweight. They're 85 grams. They're, you know, you just forget they're on your face. Um, and then the compute side of things, if we were to jam everything in the headset, we'd have limited battery life. We would have it make the headset even heavier. It would make the headset super expensive. So we opted for making the system so you could plug it into your Android cell phone or into a PC, uh, multiple headsets into a PC so that power comes from the phone or from the PC, the um, compute comes from the PC, and it lowers the cost. And everyone already has these devices. So it was a natural direction for us to go. So where is that phone sitting while I'm using the Tilt 5? Is it in my pocket in some sort of a somewhere in the device? Uh, yeah, there's a little cable. So there's this really thin micro coax that comes down and it does USB-C over micro coax. Pretty proud of the cable because it's so thin. And it plugs into your, um, your phone. Now the phone, you could just set it on the table. A lot of people, a lot of game developers are actually going to use that touch screen and that secondary screen to do stuff. So you imagine holding your phone and uh, you're playing a card game, for instance, and you have a bunch of cards on the phone. You could just like swipe the screen and the card just jumps off your phone and goes into the virtual space or use it to select your, your characters, or you could use it as you know, a kind of an indirect input right into the, the virtual space. Oh, that's true, because since this device only works directly with the board, you can't hold a hand of virtual cards. You need to have some sort of a display in your hand. Yeah, or you actually use physical cards. So we're going to be providing cards that are generic so that you can uh, play games with your friends over distance. So, uh, I mean, this might be a little technical, but I mean, it's, it's really cool. Like, you can take these cards and we're going to make them generic with some reflective panels on it. So you, the computer can actually project what the card is. So if you want to play, let's just use poker for an example. You both get your set of generic to five cards out. You put them on the table. It's your turn to draw. You pull a card off. It's actually a blank card until the computer decides what's going to be on it. So it's like, is it an ace or not an ace? The computer will decide. And your friends playing across the world, they'll pick up a generic card and they'll look at it and the computer will decide whether you know, what type of card that is. That allows us to do really interesting things that aren't possible, um, you know, any other way. Let you really work with physical cards, allows us to play these games where you have this virtual shared deck. Oh, that's really cool. 
you mentioned that you've been working in VR for at least seven years, and Tilt 5 is not your first stab at penetrating the AR or MR market. No. There was Cast AR, of course, as well before that. Can you give us a brief summary of what Cast AR was? Cast AR was very similar, very similar mission. Um, so when I left Valve, um, I actually bought some of the technology from Valve to, to do Cast AR, which is this projection optic system. But back then, virtual reality was like really hot and exciting, and no one really knew like how things were going to shake out. So we knew that AR was going to be the, the technology that really brings people together. So we got in super early, and we started this company. And we actually we did a Kickstarter on it, and we did really well. We raised a million dollars on uh, that Kickstarter. We shipped some of the units. Um, then we went to Silicon Valley, and we raised money from Silicon Valley uh, venture capitalists. And these venture capitalists are like, love what you're doing, but you need to go in a different direction. So um, they encouraged us to drop what we were doing with the Kickstarter. And so I'm super proud of this. Um, they probably would have been happy if we would have just left everyone hanging, but I insisted that we refund everyone their money and we went off into this other direction. And so super valuable lesson I learned um, being first time venture backed startup, you know, you have to be strong. You have to um, have your own vision. As soon as you let the investors come in and start bringing their people in, which was what happened. They replaced all our leadership with their people. Um, things went right off the rails, like immediately. They burned through our money and bankrupted the company very quickly. And so a group of us, the core people in the, the company, we came together and we purchased the technology back from the bank. And that's what we used for the foundation to do Tilt 5. Tons of lessons learned there. Holy cow. I mean, I think that, I think my biggest lesson I learned from that is like, we had a good mission. Um, we may not have been as focused as we are today, but we, we knew what we were doing and we should have believed in ourselves and we shouldn't have let these, these people with a lot of clout come in and convince us that we should go in a different direction. So since you bought the technology back, that means there's no issues with licensing or IP to reuse anything that you developed for Cast AR. No, it's fantastic. So um, we'd raised $15 million and we put $15 million of work into it, give or take. And uh, the, uh, that means that we had a, a bunch of patents. So we got all the patents. We had all of the software, and which includes games and, and tracking techniques and, and optical techniques. So we got all of that. So that really accelerated Tilt 5 because we didn't have to reinvent a bunch of that stuff. So it was all ours, free and clear. And so what we did is when Cassiar went through that crisis and had to shut down, the group of us, we sat down before we even purchased the, the technology and we kind of made a charter for what the company was going to do. And we made some decisions. And one of the decisions was uh, my co-founders, they're like, Jerry, you've always held the vision of what this was going to be. Like, you are going to be CEO forever. We're not doing it unless you're the CEO. I'm like, okay, I agree. I mean, it was bad when I let go of the CEO position before. And also we learned, like we looked at the market and the market had evolved a bunch. It went from people thinking that AR everywhere was coming, you know, right around the corner to people being more realistic. Like this is going to take like, a couple decades to arrive. It's like, okay, how do we, how do we um, delight people and last long enough for AR everywhere? And so that's where this new focusing of the company came from. It's like, okay, we could either go enterprise and business to business type things or, or industrial, or we can stick with our roots. We're all um, gamers ourselves and we can do the gaming thing. And so that's where we thought about like, well, emerging technology in the old days, like, it, it always split like this. So let's go towards gaming. And so we focus the company on tabletop games. So if there is so much overlap in the technology and in the people, why not just call this Cast AR? We always hated the name, which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> just be completely uh, candid. So Cast AR, originally, we were going to our very first public showing of the, the hardware, and we hadn't decided what the name was. And we had been driving for 12 hours. And one of the people in the car said, ugh. It said something like, oh, I had a Telecaster guitar or something like that. And so it's like, oh, let's call it the Cast AR. <laughs> so it was actually kind of a weird thing, a discussion about guitars. And then all of a sudden it was called Cast AR. We showed up at the event a day or two early and we printed a bunch of banners and it was Cast AR from that point on. And in fact, this goes back to um, silly things that our executives did and wasted money. So they... Uh, <laughs> everyone was unhappy with the name. So they came in like, we're going to change the name of the company. And so they hired a company for three quarters of a million dollars to rename the company. And so 
they came up with a bunch of names and they renamed the product. And uh, then they did an all hands meeting. So everyone came together and they announced the new name, uh, Voyage AR. And like the look on everyone's face in the, <laughs> in the company just like drooped. Like, ugh. Because not only was it kind of a not great name, when you read it um, in printed, printed on screen, it actually looked like Voyagar. Wow. <laughs> so, no, 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 it's even worse. Um, so when we started Tilt 5, again, we, had, we struggled with a name. And we're like, this time we're choosing a name that we like because it's a bit of an inside joke and it's generic enough that 10 years from now, if we're a uh, enterprise router company, it's fine. It doesn't have AR in it. It doesn't have VR in it, XR, MR, any of these um, things that are relevant today that are going to be outdated in a decade or two. And so even, even as a product name in our Kickstarter, we didn't want to name it anything. And so we decided it's like, we're the Till 5 gaming system. Uh, we're going to have the LE and the XE kits, you know, the limited edition and then the, the, the more premium edition. Give someone some, give the customer something to latch on to. Like I got the LE system or the XE system. We were kind of thinking about the Nintendo gaming, Nintendo entertainment system. You know, when we were, we're deciding not to really name the product. You said there was an inside joke behind Tilt 5. Can you share that with us? Or would it not be inside anymore? It wouldn't be inside anymore. I can't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I I have to imagine Tilt comes from your passion for pinball. No, no, you guys are wrong. Everyone thinks that. Well, understandably so. Yeah, I'm a pinball collector for the listeners that don't know. I have uh, 80 pinball machines. So, yeah, I do love pinball, but it doesn't have anything to do with pinball. All right. Well, I'll get it out of you next time I see you then. All right. So the technology between Cast AR and Tilt 5 is similar. The staff is similar. You're using Kickstarter for both of them. What are you doing differently this time around? Oh, we're doing a ton of things differently. So just to put this in perspective... You know, when we did Cast AR, we were, we were a bunch of technologists just like, hey, we have this cool piece of tech. Here you go, world. And we had um, no games for it. We hadn't really uh, worked through all of the user experience pieces of it. And, and that was kind of like the state of the market back then. Now things have shifted. People, you know, demand to have like this out-of-box experience, like be complete. So for the last couple of years, when we were working on Tilt 5, we went out, we searched for like the perfect um, developers to work with. We made sure that all of the the pieces for the interaction were like really refined so that there's a clear message of like, this is how you're going to use it. It's blending uh, board games with video games. And we made sure that we could actually do those things and um, we're making a complete package this time. So instead of targeting the tech um, gadget um, person, we're we're targeting like anyone that wants to play this kind of blended tabletop experience. And so it's been a lot of work. You know, we went out and we've talked to hundreds of developers. We've got dozens of developers making really relevant content for us. Um, some of them we can't announce yet because you know, game developers don't announce anything unless it's on their timeline. We have a bunch that are announced on our Kickstarter, which is exciting. Um, the one I'm most excited about is Fantasy Grounds, which is this awesome platform for people that play RPGs. Um, they have thousands of licensed D&D and Pathfinder adventure packs where you can use their platform to play these RPGs with your friends and they're, they're using our features so that you can link game boards together. So it really um, is going to appeal to those RPG players. We also, we had a bunch of games that we brought over from Castiar and we continue to develop those in which are party games. So when your friends come over, you can sit around and you can play these party games. Like we have this awesome game called Tumbly Towers, which is my favorite one where there's all these towers that are coming into the table and you sit there with your, it's a, so it can be played solo or with um, your friends, but you have to try to collect all the green blocks and you can like shoot these red blocks over and, and cause a lot of problems for your um, friends. And it's a really fun uh, party game. We also have this cart racing game, which is very reminiscent to um, say a, um, Mario Kart. So you can have up to six players sitting around the table playing this kind of, cart racing game. Um, it also has like this battle arena mode where um, it's kind of reminiscent to um, Rocket League, 
So it has a bunch of different gameplay elements in it, like, you know, get the ball into the the goal or capture the flag. And there's all kinds of traps and stuff that you can drive your car into. And then on the, the more action side, we have some developers working on um, these, you know, more action games. So there's like Kill All Zombies, which is a really cool cross-platform game where you're, you're defending yourself against these hordes of zombies coming in and you can actually play it across like PC and phones and your friends can like uh, do things um, to you while you're playing so they can send more zombies in and, and things like that. So, yeah. So I, I was going a little rambly there, but complete package. That's the, I mean, that's been our mantra this entire time. Like this is, not just a piece of technology. This is an experience, and we have to make sure it's a complete experience. Well, since you're talking about software, one of the things that I think Nintendo found with the Wii and the Wii U being so different from the Sony and Microsoft consoles was that developers couldn't just take a game and port it as is from one system to the other. The same may be true for AR and MR as well, where it's a unique environment and not easily translated to or from. So do you have known publishers or known IPs who might be interested in publishing for Tilt 5? Uh, yeah. And of course, we can't announce any of the big guys because they just don't do that. But games do port over pretty easy to our system. So in comparison to like the Wii, the Wii had a completely different input scheme to it. Like it was bowling, right? You're swinging the, the Wii mote and that doesn't map very well to you know, an RTS. Ours maps very well. So I'll just go back to Kill All Zombies. That was an easy port for us to help them with because it was already a top-down game. It already had traditional joystick um, kinds of inputs. What we bring to them is the ability to have, it's definitely 3D. It's like all this stuff's flying out of the table towards you. But also your friends can sit around the table and share that experience so that's super unique um, features we can add to a traditional game. And there's a lot of other, and we're going to see this, um, really cool um, crossovers between some of the other titles. And I actually explored this at Valve originally. So we took Left 4 Dead. I'm not saying that Left 4 Dead's coming, but um, we took Left 4 Dead at Valve, which was their zombie first-person shooter, we hooked it up to AR so that you could use the wand to drop zombies and health packs in. And so you sit next to your friend on the couch who's playing Left 4 Dead on the TV, and you're dropping health packs and zombies in. It becomes insanely fun, and it's a really easy thing for developers to implement. So in that scenario, like the, as you would do, the first thing you do is you drop in like a thousand zombies and kill your buddy. And you know, he or she reaches over and punches you in the arm, tells you to stop it. And then the next time they run through, you drop, you know, a bunch of zombies, then you give them a bunch of health packs. And then it just really heightens this game because it becomes this frantic thing where you bring them to, you know, one bar of health, they're almost ready to die and you're dropping health packs in, but they're running right past the health packs. And you're like, dude, get the health pack, get the help. I'm dropping another one. Get it, get it, get it. And it, it takes this um, competitive, cooperative, um, thing and, and really like um, blurs the lines of what uh, co-op versus competitive uh, god mode type experiences are like. Oh, that's awesome. And you've described a lot of different kinds of games too. And certainly there's overlap between video games and board games, or at least the people who play them. But would you say that this system is more likely to appeal to one or the other? That's a good question. We don't know. I think that's the the answer. We didn't want to exclude the video game players. We didn't want to exclude the board game players because it's really good for both. Which one's going to take off at first? We're not sure. We we took the bet that um, for our initial offering that the uh, tabletop gamers would be a little bit more interested than the video game players. And there's a reason for that. You know, if we go head to head and say that we're an Xbox killer, uh, we don't stand a chance. You know, Microsoft has billions of dollars that they put into launching Xbox and we have <laughs> pennies, right? We're, we don't have any, any budget to go up against them. However, uh, going to the board game folks and say like, Hey, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could play a board game at, you know, at any point, your friends can't come over. You can just call them up on the phone and say like, Hey, let's just jump on and play a game of Catan. 
there's real value in that um, easy to message that to them. Yeah, and it's working out. Our our kickstart is going really well. So I think that we chose the right direction. Of course, as a business, we have to think about how we keep expanding that that um, user base and get that make that bubble bigger and bigger. So um, as we become more successful, we'll start expanding that into uh, more complicated gaming scenarios. Eventually. Um, non-gaming applications as well. We have a ton of people reaching out to us to use it for professional uses, which we think is really cool. We're not going to put any marketing dollars into that right away because you know we need to f- stay focused. Again, back to the lessons learned. If we don't stay focused, we're doomed. So choose a market, nail it, move to the next one. When you talk about all these potential expansions and then also saying that you have pennies compared to Microsoft's billions, are you going to be seeking outside investment again? Um, TBD, TBD. Um, as you grow a business, there's times where you need to accelerate growth. And so I see a scenario where we get a lot of traction with this Kickstarter and then we want to push it into retail. And so we'll have to seek outside funding to float all of that inventory, advertising budgets. It's just the natural evolution of, of startups. If you want to go fast. Um, but you know, we're leaving, leaving that open. We're, we're not going to rush to do anything. So, you know, if we can grow organically, it's a whole lot better than having too many cooks in the kitchen again. Right. Because just based on what you've told me in the last hour, it sounds like the inside investment was where things got off the rails with your last project. And I'd hate to see that happen again. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way though. I, I think, you know, again, lessons learned, I think, we got into that situation because we were naive going into it. So sometimes, I mean, here in Silicon Valley, you, th- you throw a rock and you're going to hit a founder and the founder's like, oh yeah, I did three startups and each one of them blew up and in various bad ways, but, but now I'm Steve Jobs or whatever. It's kind of a rite of passage down here to get some black eyes and you know bloody noses and learn those valuable lessons pretty rare to like come right out of the gate and not make a bunch of mistakes. But I think we're, we're better positioned this time not to make at least the same mistakes. We're certainly going to make mistakes. And our biggest goal this time is to make sure that when we make those mistakes, they're not fatal. Yeah. So that's, and it comes back to like focus, like, gosh, that's all we talk about is like, should we, should we engage with this developer? Cause we have tons of developers coming towards us and we're turning away far more developers than we're we're working with because we have such limited resources, like to port a game over, there's going to be questions. And we only have a few people on our side that are um, there to answer the questions. And if the game doesn't look like a natural fit, we're like, you're welcome to get a developer kit and go it alone. But if you're going to need support from us, we can't help you for several months until we staff up a bit more and after this Kickstarter is done. So one more question about how things have changed in the last six years. The Verge wrote an article about Tilt 5's Kickstarter, and one of their comments was, it's still as intriguing and limiting an idea as it originally was in 2013, referring to Cast AR. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Intriguing and limiting. What do you think that they meant by that? And are they right or are they wrong? No, I think they're right. I think good products are limited. You know, bad products are ones that try to be everything for everyone, but aren't great for any one given thing. And you can just see it time and time again in different products. And so there's a notion out there, and it's still a lot of people hold on to this, is that someday around the corner, really soon, Apple's going to snap their fingers. You're going to have these glasses that are infinitely lightweight super thin and super sexy and stylish that do everything that we've ever seen in movies, everything from hollow chest to the minority report. And so that's not realistic. And so to be successful, we have to limit the scope, make sure that we just absolutely nail um, a use case that appeals to a set of users before we move on and try to do something else. There's there's other companies out there that have raised billions of dollars doing AR glasses and they've sold virtually no glasses. And it's just a prime example of trying to be everything for everyone and not focusing. So yeah, yeah, I think they're right. And I think 
you know, I don't know if they were trying to be like disparaging with that or not, but um, I think it's a virtue that we have limits to our system. It makes definitely makes messaging a lot easier. Like when we were trying, there's a lot of stuff you can do with our system. We have a game board and all the images show up on the game board. Well, you could potentially hang the same retroflective material on every single wall and surface in your house. And you could have AR everywhere with that. But the message becomes so muddy at that point. Like how do you message that to grandma and grandpa that want to get this and play games with their grandkids? Like it's a terrible message. But instead our message is, hey, it's a game board. You know how to unfold a game board. Flip it open, magic happens. You know how to poke things with a stick. You know, use the magic wand, poke things with a stick. You know, you know how to pull a trigger on a hot glue gun. Well, the trigger on the wand is like a trigger on a hot glue gun or a barbecue lighter. People always tease us about the look of our wand, that it looks like a barbecue lighter. That wasn't a mistake. We <laughs> we don't care that people think it looks like a barbecue lighter because everyone knows how to use a barbecue lighter. So that was an intentional design. You sat down and said, let's make a controller that looks like a barbecue lighter. Well, we we had a lot of discussions that it had to be relatable. And so there's a reason barbecue lighters look the way they do. It's like everyone can pick them up. It's a natural ergonomics. You know, it's a natural motion for your fingers. So, yeah, not a mistake. How about that? (laughs) Speaking of having a targeted audience, what sort of reception did Tilt 5 get at PAX West? Oh, my God. We had lines constantly. Um, we have a video of it. We had a videographer there like capturing some of it. And uh, as and we've experienced this before, it's pretty magical. The first time people put the glasses on, they say like, wow, it's almost a hundred percent. People say, wow, when they see like all this holographic content popping up out of the table, and then you let them like actually touch and interact with the holograms. And then they're, they're floored. And then they run off after they get the demo and they drag their friends back and they drag five people back. And then those five people drag another five people back. And it was fantastic. We probably ran, I don't know, a thousand to 1500 people through. It was really tiring. Um, We were running people through demos as fast as we can. We were also at Gen Con, which we were quite the the hit at Gen Con. Gen Con's a a big board game convention, like 100,000 board gamers show up there. So that was like super awesome. I, and it was really valuable for us too, because in our Kickstarter video, we show a very grandiose view of what this is going to be like. And people often look at the video and they're like, oh, that's bullshit. Um, we were actually showing those ex- those types of experiences at these shows. And it really like brings a level of legitimacy to what we're doing. It was at PAX West that you shot your Kickstarter video, didn't you? Part of it, Yeah. We actually, our Kickstarter video uh, was super fun to make. So here I'll draw a contrast between Cast AR. So Cast AR, we're a bunch of technologists. We think the technology is cool. So we just grabbed our buddy that could film and we just shot a bunch of like vignettes of technology, basically. And uh, we did okay. We raised a million dollars on that campaign. But this time around, we're like, no, we're experience focused. Like, let's not even discuss the technology at all in the Kickstarter video. Let's just talk about the experience. We can talk about the technology on the page and in other videos. And so that's what we did. We hired a videographer. We wrote the script. It's super cheesy. And it's like we all laughed the entire time that we were writing it and uh, shot this thing. I actually did all of the, uh, so there's compositing in it to be, you know, completely candid we had to do that because of the way that actors had to interact and we had to have all these low camera angles and stuff. But I actually wrote, um, I'm not a programmer, but I wrote all of the unity projects, these video game projects that um, are seen in the, uh, the video and that are composited in. And then we reshot those same videos through the lens of the glasses that we could prove that our, our system could do that. And uh, it's been fun. The reception has been very polarizing. So the techie nerds that come through, which I put myself in that camp, look at this video and they're just like, screw you. Like, why aren't you talking about the technology? Why are you showing me all of this? Like, you know, people having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I'm being like, you know, extreme here. But um, 
But then the people that are like tabletop gamers, video gamers, they look at this and they're like, holy shit, this is what I've been waiting for. You know, Star Wars chess is here. Um, or holy shit, I can finally play board games with my friends over over the internet. This is what I've been waiting for for years. Or holy shit, like I've always dreamed of being able to, uh, you know, play uh, Warhammer and actually have, you know, all these virtual effects coming off of my minis. So yeah, it's fun. I, I love, absolutely love. I don't mind that people hate it, um, and I and I love that people love it. Um, I think it's just really interesting psychology to watch the people that hate, hate, hate it. And then the people that love, love, love it. Cause it's like you either fall on either side of the, the fence. Well, I think you have enough people who are loving it based on your current funding. Today is October 2nd as we're recording this and you are at $954,000. So certainly going to hit a million. The campaign doesn't end until October 29th. So still almost a month to go. Yeah. And according, and according to the website kicktrack.com, you're actually trending toward almost $3.5 million. Yeah, we would be, you know, that'd be a champagne moment for us. And there's a lot of reasons why that's a, a champagne moment for us. If we were to just end here, like, that's great. I mean, a million dollars is awesome. We've sold quite a few units, but if we can get that three or four times as much, that's three or four times more users out there of the system, three or four times more developers um, using it and, an opportunity for them to make money on the system as well. So we really look at this as a great sign that we're going to get some critical mass out there where there'll be enough players online that people can go to our public lobby. Like if they want to just pick up a game of like Catan or something, they go to our, our public lobby. And if their friends aren't available, they can find someone that's online that wants to play with them. And we'll continue pushing for sales, you know, after the Kickstarter as well. and. Um, of course, we're going to deliver the Kickstarter units first. So you have to be in on the Kickstarter if you want to have the absolute first units. But we, our objective as a business that needs to make money and a business that needs to make money for our partners is we need to get as many units out there as possible and do a fantastic job at that. And I'm, I'm encouraged. I think it's really going well. Well, speaking of which, the Kickstarter units are due to be delivered in less than a year. They're coming out summer of 2020. What needs to happen between now and then? A lot of the stuff that needs to be done. So right now we're working through some manufacturing issues. Like, for instance, on the glasses, the arms are supposed to snap open and stay open and they just kind of fall closed. Um, so a little latch problem on there. Um, a lot of it is software. So there's a couple bugs in the SDK. We're working with developers to squash those bugs. But the biggest thing is we need to, we're going to be heads down working with developers to make sure that the content's there and ready to go. We're working with Fantasy Grounds to make sure that, you know, all the D&D players are taking, play, uh, taking care of, you know, you know the folks from uh, Beat Shaper so that all of their games are working. And because it's not going to be very much fun if we ship it out and it's just a, a piece of plastic and no games on it. And it's looking good. I mean, a bunch of the contents already demoable and we're just in the, you know, the polished stage. It's a lot of work to get this product shipped and you're doing a lot of that. I certainly don't want to imply that you're doing it by yourself. You have a great team supporting you. Yeah. They're amazing. Anybody you want to give a shout out to? I have to say my co-founder, Jamie, he's fantastic. So he's the guy that's doing all the algorithms. And so Two years ago, um, so I, I should back up. Big kudos to Jamie for like achieving something I've been talking about for probably eight years. So when I was at Valve Software, I predicted that there was going to be a way that everyone was going to do um, image stabilization in headsets. And people thought I was insane. And so when we started Tilt 5, we're like, okay, we all believe that this image reprojection is what it's called. It's where we can take an image from the game engine that might be running at 60 frames per second or 30 frames per second. And, you know, frame rates go up and down in these game engines. Um, the VR guys solve this by like making all the users get a really big beefy PC so they can maintain a certain frame rate. We're like, well, we want to be different. We want to be able to use phones and use like any old PC. So for the last two years, he's worked on this imagery projection 
and he got it working. So what happens is the game engine sends a picture up to the headset at whatever frame rate it can manage. It can be, you know, super low frame rate even. And then his algorithms upscale that to 180 frames per second. So the image is rock solid on the table, even if the game engine bogs down briefly. It also allows us to plug multiple headsets into the same computer because um, we don't have to maintain a particular frame rate. So kudos to Jamie working two years tirelessly pretty much by himself on that challenge and making it work. Um, A lot of other great people working with us, you know, as well, like Amy, um, she's just amazing at like wrangling developers and, you know, keeping them on track and I could go on and on. So even though you have all this amazing support and contributions from a very talented team, it doesn't change the fact that you are the CEO and this is your idea and you're the one on the show floor at PAX demoing it. You're juggling a lot of responsibilities. How do you manage all that? (laughs) It's been tough. Oh my God, it's been tough. So you said a lot of work getting ready for the Kickstarter. It was crazy. So you know, we already have venture money. So we have strategic partners from the industry. We we chose manufacturing partners to put money into us this time, but we don't have a ton of money. So we couldn't hire people to, to do all these visual effects. So when it came time to do the visual effects, I could either derail the team that's actually working with developers and working on the hardware and those pieces or pick it up myself. And so I ended up, you know, doing... 20 hour days doing all the visual effects to get ready for the Kickstarter. And so, wow, it turned out great. I think they look great. Um, They could have been better if I would have gotten a professional, but that's what you got to do when you're in a startup and you're the CEO. Uh, Now I'm more on the uh, podcast circuit and the trade show circuit. And that's my job. I have to, I have to keep the, uh, keep us in the press. I have to keep telling the vision of the company, make sure that it's very clear and keep refining that message. And it, I made an agreement with the uh, my co-founders that I wouldn't be burying my head in the sand working on technology. And I mean, that's, that's how I, let me go back to Cast AR. I'm, I'm an electrical engineer. I'm a product designer. That's what I like to do. So when things get difficult, my natural instinct is to just bury my head in the sand and go work on something technical. And so at Cast AR, when things got difficult or scary, I just let these executives come in and take care of it. And that was a big mistake. And so this time I'm having to stretch and my co-founders don't let me do technical stuff typically. So every once in a while I get to sneak in and do something technical, but they're like, we're hiring people to do that stuff. People can't, you can't hire people to have the vision of the company and go out and like be the evangelist for the company, or you can't really hire people that don't understand the product to go uh, make sure that um, developers are on board. Well, I hope that that doesn't divorce you from the things that you do love, like electrical engineering. Uh, I have weekends. I can do stuff on the weekends. So (laughs) (laughs) actually last night I put a little pinball game together for our, our system it was pretty fun. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's so easy to use. I mean, I'm not a programmer, but if if I can do it, anyone can do it. So pinball is one of the many interests I mentioned at the top of the show. Also Commodore 64, racing, roller derby. You told us what you love about VR, but what is the common thread among all your many diverse, exotic, and intense hobbies? For me, I th- well, that's a good question. I think for me, I don't like mysteries in the world. Since I was a kid, I always took everything apart. And so every toy I got, I would open it up to see how it works. And so I have a YouTube channel where on the weekends, I'll do like hardcore science. I'll take on like challenge, optical challenges or chemistry experiments. And I'll just dive in deep just for my own satisfaction. Like how does this chemical reaction work? Or how does this optical system work? And I'll just figure it out. And then I'll just put it on YouTube. A lot of people appreciate that. It's like, we're kind of learning together and I'm giving back. Now on the roller derby and the race car side, um, the race car side was really interesting. I was pretty young and wild and I was looking for a thrill. So it was great. I, I'm all, I've always been kind of a, a adrenaline junkie, but it also, there was a lot of technology. So that really 
gave me an outlet to innovate. I built all my own race cars. I built trashing control systems. I built all the electronics for the trashing control system. And that was really, really fun. Maybe more fun in the long run than actually doing the racing. Now, roller derby, I don't know. Maybe I did that for four years or so, a few years ago. I think that was probably just a midlife crisis, but it was super fun. I uh, really liked the thrill. It was very much like racing, going out there and, and uh, skating around, knocking people down and getting knocked down. And yet every time you get knocked down, you get right back up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that might be a, an analogy for my life. It's like uh, when Cast AR shut down, uh, one of the coworkers gave me this uh, shirt. It has, I think it's a Japanese phrase on it. And then it says like, I think it says something like, get down, get knocked down seven times, stand up eight. And I was like, <laughs> I love that because, you know, you are going to get knocked down and you just have to get right back up and with the same conviction. I love it. You are our own Captain Marvel. I love it. <laughs> so, Jerry, we've talked about so much today and there is so much, of course, that goes into this amazing new project of yours. Is there anything we haven't chatted about that you wanted to be sure our listeners knew about? Gosh, there's so much that our system can do. I'm like so excited about it. I think that, I mean, there's the traditional video games, the traditional board games. It's easy to imagine that. But the things that really I'm excited about is like what new gaming experiences are going to come out of this system. And we can't even imagine it. And we won't, we won't know what those experiences are until developers have spent a year or two working with the system and exploring all these new tools that we've provided. So super, super excited. Um, I hope your listeners consider um, backing our project. Uh, it's It really is magical. Once you get a chance to try it, we're going to be at trade shows. You'll see for yourself that it's real. Uh, we've done a lot of... Um, uh, interviews with people that have actually came in and used the hardware, like uh, Tested came through a few days ago and, and tried it and they were floored and they've been tweeting and posting videos about it. Super excited. So it's, it's the real deal. And uh, yeah, just go check it out. And where can they do that? Uh, Tilt5.com. So you can either spell Tilt and the number five or Tilt and the letters five. Um, you can search for us on Kickstarter. And on the Kickstarter page, it's probably a better place to go because we put a lot of effort in documenting like what the experience is like. And you can see our partners there and we're constantly updating it as we do our, uh, our, our announcements. And it's fun. I've been learning so much about marketing, like, you know, by taking the challenge on myself to learn about marketing, I've learned all these techniques of like, yeah, you don't just go tell everything up front, you spread it out over the month. And so that's what we're doing. There'll be announcements you know, all throughout the month as the Kickstarter campaign goes. So it's, it's worth checking it out often. Any announcements you want to share here? Oh, you said this is going to come out Thursday? Uh, next Wednesday, the 9th. Next Wednesday. Oh, gosh. I wish I would have known ahead of time. Uh, I better not, I better not, uh, better not say anything, but there's content um, partner announcements about the time this podcast comes out. So that's going to be pretty exciting. I'm pretty excited about these next couple announcements. I think it's really going to resonate with folks. That's awesome. And to be honest, even though an actual MR kit is not in my budget at this time, that's one of the reasons I backed your project is because that subscribes me to your email updates and I get all the backer updates and I get to find out stuff along with everybody else, just as they're hearing about it. Have you been watching our Twitter? To be honest, I haven't. Oh, oh. So I, I should talk about our Twitter. So if people people might be interested in our Twitter. So at Cast AR, when the executives came in, they went super corporate. They're like, we're going to be super boring in corporate. <laughs> they didn't actually say it that way, but that's what happened. Uh, when we set up our social media and we're big fans of Twitter, we're like, we are going to be as genuine as possible on Twitter. And it was a bold move for us and kind of scary, but it's worked out really well. We're constantly on there engaging with um, our fans. We're sending silly gifts all the time. So if you don't like gifts, you probably shouldn't subscribe to our, our Twitter account. But we're super open and candid. And we're constantly putting our foot in our mouth and make mistakes all the time. But that's what people really love about our Twitter. Like when I go to trade shows, like people come up and they're like, Jerry, is that you behind Twitter? And I'm like, no, it's not me. They're like, oh, we love it so much. Don't change a thing. And so we we don't plan on changing that at all at all. Like 
we share when things go completely sideways, we share it. It's like, what do we have to lose? Like either people can accept it or they can celebrate it like we celebrate it and move forward. I love it. Yeah. Being authentic and being sincere is actually quite difficult. And I find that's often rewarded. So kudos to you for taking that approach. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully it never changes. And for those who want to follow you specifically, because I got to be honest, one of my coworkers said to me, oh my God, you're interviewing Jerry Ellsworth. She's my hero. Oh gosh. Where can they find you online? I'm also very active on Twitter. So um, you can just Look me up on all the usual places, Jerry Ellsworth, J-E-R-I, and then Ellsworth, E-L-L-S-W-O-R-T-H. Twitter's a great place. YouTube, if you're really into science, um, my YouTube channel is is pretty interesting. I don't do Facebook. I think uh, they're evil corp and spy on everyone, so you won't find me there. Where else am I? LinkedIn, if you want to be connected to me in more of a professional way. Always happy to uh, talk to other professionals there. Fantastic. I'll include links to all of this in the show notes, including to the Kickstarter for Tilt 5, which ends on Tuesday, October 29th. And if people want to back it, that's where they can go. Jerry, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to catch up with you. And I hope to see you on a Joko cruise or at Kansas Fest someday soon. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me on on your show. And everyone should go on Joko cruise. They'll have to rent like three or four boats eventually. Love it, love it, love it. And uh, yeah, Kansas Fest. Got to get out there again. Whether it's Joko or Kansas Fest, bring the Tilt 5 with you. Oh, yeah. D- did you get a chance to try it when we were on Joko last year? I wasn't on Joko last year, unfortunately. Oh, we did a super duper stealthy secret reveal on Joko. We we, we kind of secretly let people know that the new hardware was going to be there. And we let... Uh, like a couple dozen people try it in secret. It was really, really fun. And we're definitely bringing it on Joko this year. Ooh, that's not too late to register. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll have some new uh, secret stuff to show there again. I hope so. Well, Jerry, thank you so much again. Thank you. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Polygamer.net.